And so I have the privilege of introducing one of my favorite preachers in the world who's come to be our uh, communicator today. His name is Bob Russell, and his lovely wife Judy is here today. So let's welcome Judy. Uh, man, we're so glad to have you with us. God bless you. If you get a chance to meet Judy, you realize how far Bob married over his head, I'll tell you. But uh, anyway, man, we're so glad to have them with us today. Bob was a senior pastor at Southeast Christian Church for 40 years. Now, Southeast Christian was the largest Christian church in America for decades. Bob has mentored a generation of pastors uh, in, in using, not using, but using all the gifts of the church to reach the community with the gospel. Uh, he has been an extraordinary leader. He has been a godly man. He's been a great dad, great husband. Uh, Bob has decades and decades and decades of moral authority uh, driving his ministry in a way that has set him apart. And I'm telling you, he has been a mentor for me uh, all through my ministry here. Uh, Bob is a, a guy who cast a huge wake. Uh, he is an example to me as somebody who made a commitment to Christ young, served the Lord all the way through, is finishing super well. Uh, he is an example for all of us. I'm so thankful he's here to communicate with us today. Why don't you welcome my friend Bob Russell as he comes to share the gospel with us today, all right? Bob Russell, everybody. Thank you. Good morning. At my age, I'm really honored to be invited to speak anywhere, but to be invited to speak at such a great church as Compassion Christian is a double honor, and then to be invited back is a tremendous honor. I am as proud and arrogant today as an obnoxious Clemson fan. <laughs> but I'm glad, glad to be here. You know, I've been kind of dreading 2020. I know the Bible says we're to stretch toward that which is ahead and forget that which is behind. But I've not been looking forward to this next year. And for one primary reason. This is an election year. Now, it's my observation that election years are often uh, kind of restless years in our country. But that's especially true this year. Because our country has not been so starkly divided, so disunified. People filled with so much hostility toward each other since the Civil War. And this campaign coming up this year promises to be the nastiest ever. And I dread seeing the attack ads and hearing the exaggerated claims against the other party. Jesus warned, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And if our country doesn't get it together pretty soon, I fear for the future of my children and my grandchildren living here. In addition to that, some of you may not dread the election year, but you've got issues in the coming year that cause some concern for you and anxiety for you. It may be financial stress or health problems or relationship concerns, and maybe you're not looking forward to 2020 either. But regardless, I think we all need to listen to Jesus' words in John 14 when he talked with his disciples about having a spirit of peace in the midst of of times of turmoil. Now keep in mind that Jesus spoke these words just hours before he was going to be arrested, tortured, and crucified. 
And Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him within 24 hours. He's going to be sweating drops of blood. But in John 14, verse 27, Jesus said to his followers, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Wouldn't it be great if we would all, as God's people, move into 2020 with this peace of Christ that passes understanding? Don't we have this opportunity to give a testimony to our world that God's people are not caught up in the anger and the turmoil of the day, that we have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. So let's go back to the beginning of John 14 and listen carefully to Jesus' instructions. As I've studied this, this has helped me uh, move with peace into the future. I hope some of it will help you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as I look at these words, I see in them kind of a biblical formula for having a peaceful new year. And the first step of that formula is put your complete trust in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe in me, trust in me. In this coming year, all kinds of politicians are going to invite you to put their, your trust in them. And they'll cite their credentials. They'll talk about their track record and their experience and their integrity and their character. And you'll have to choose to put some degree of trust in a politician. But only Jesus is worth your total, complete allegiance. Think about the credentials of Jesus. He alone is worthy of your complete trust because of his supernatural identity. He says in John 14, verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus was no ordinary man. He was God making a physical manifestation on the earth. The Virgin Mary conceived a baby by the Holy Spirit, and she gave birth to a son, and they called him Emmanuel, God with us. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by him. And then the word became flesh and lived among us and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. You can put your trust, your total trust in Jesus because he's God. And Jesus is trustworthy because of his impeccable character. Hebrews 4.15 says, We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet was without sin. Now think about that. As a little boy, Jesus never sassed his mother. He never lied to his dad about where he's going. He never cheated in synagogue school. As a man, he was the only one who ever kept all of the commandments perfectly. He once asked his enemies, which of you accuses me of sin? And nobody could. They could interview his high school 
friends. They could subpoena his tax returns. They could check his phone records. They can review his internet history. They could question customers from the carpenter shop. And there was no accusation against him that would stand. Pontius Pilate, a hostile judge, examined him and said, I find no fault in this man. He is worthy of your trust because his character is perfect. And Jesus merits your total trust because of his keen intellect. No one could match his intellectual brilliance. Even as only 12 years of age, the teachers of the law were amazed at his understanding of the scriptures. When he began teaching, he was brilliant, but the common people understood him and heard him gladly. Once they sent temple police to arrest him, and they came back empty-handed, and they said, why didn't you bring him with? They said, we've never heard a man teach like this man. Luke 40, 32 says they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. I mean, here we are 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, and we're still trying to plumb the depths of, of his teaching, and they change our behavior. He is worthy of your trust because Jesus is always the smartest man in the room. And Jesus merits your trust because of his miraculous power. John 14, 11, he said, Now believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Only Jesus could touch blind men's eyes and they could see. Put his finger in the ears of people who could not hear and they were made to hear. Touch the tongue of somebody who was mute and they could speak. Only Jesus could take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people. Only Jesus could calm a storm. Only Jesus could call a dead man out of a tomb after four days and he comes out alive. One politician of Jesus' day admitted, Lord, we, we, we know, Jesus, that God's with you because nobody can do these miracles that you do unless God is with him. You can put your total trust in Jesus because nothing is impossible with him. And Jesus is worthy of your trust because of his sacrificial death. The religious leaders were so jealous of Jesus' popularity. I mean, his poll numbers were through the roof. And they plotted to kill him. And Jesus said, now listen, Nobody takes my life from me, but I give it up of my own accord. I lay down my life as a ransom for many. Understand that Jesus did not die the victim of injustice. His death was not a martyr's death. It was a vicarious death, a substitute death. He bore our sins on the cross. The Bible says God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus died for our sins. It must be about 40 years ago that my family and I were in a pretty bad automobile accident 350 miles from our home. We live in Louisville, Kentucky. We're in Pennsylvania. We're in an accident. And my wife was fairly seriously injured. And she was taken to a small community hospital. And after about four days, I could see she wasn't getting any better. And I was just fit to be tied. I didn't know what to do. And Dr. Russell Summey a deacon in our church in Louisville, Kentucky, flew with a co-worker a medical plane to where we were, arranged for an ambulance to take my wife to the airport, and then my wife and my two boys and I got in the plane and we flew back to Louisville where Dr. Summey helped to nurse my wife back to health. And as we were flying back, I was so relieved my problem was going to have a resolution. And I was so grateful to Dr. Summey. I looked at him and I said, I can't thank you enough. Now, I've got to pay for this plane. I know it's expensive. He said, no, you're not paying for this plane. I said, I insist I'm going to pay for this plane. He said, no way. A third time I said, look, Russ, I am going to pay 
for this plane. He looked me square in the eye and said, I'm going to be honest with you. You can't afford it. <laughs> and I later did some work investigating. He was right. I, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> I'm going to be real honest with you today. You can't afford to pay for your sins. They're too many. They're too heinous. And all the good deeds you do are nothing to God. The Bible says your righteousness is filthy rags to God. So unless somebody comes and rescues you and pays the price for your sins, you're in a hopeless, lost condition. But Jesus came to rescue you. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus on that cross paid it all. All to him will. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And you, you can put your total trust in Jesus Christ because nobody, but nobody ever loved you like that enough to die for you. And you can put your total trust in Jesus because of his predicted resurrection, his bodily resurrection. Jesus predicted to his disciples the impossible. He said, and we're going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the wicked men and they're going to crucify me. And then on the third day, I'm going to come back from the grave. Nobody believed it because it didn't seem possible. But it happened just like he predicted. Luke's gospel says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But while they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning to angels stood beside them. And in the, their light, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, they said, when he was with you in Galilee, that he was going to be handed over to wicked men and be crucified? And when, then they remembered his words. Listen to me. If a man can say, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back from the grave in three days, and then he does it, he can handle any of my troubles. He's worthy of your trust because he's the great I am. He is alive. And Jesus is worthy of your trust because of his present position. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, as at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Jesus ascended into heaven in the presence of many witnesses. And today he's at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Halting the accusations of Satan against us. Pleading our case to the judge of the universe. Wouldn't you put your trust, your total trust in somebody who has access to the judge of the universe? And one day is going to return as a king of kings and the lord of lords? That is the one who says to you right now, as you move into next year, don't let your heart be troubled. You put your trust in me. I like that little plaque that reads, Lord, help me to remember that nothing is going to happen to, to me today that you and I can't handle together. Nothing's going to happen in 2020 that you and Jesus can't handle together. Here's the second part of this formula. Focus more on heaven and less on this earth. In the first verse, Jesus said, no, you put your trust in me. In the second verse, he says, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. One of the reasons we get anxious and uncertain is our attention is so much focused on this world. 
We worry about the future of our country. We worry about our kids. We worry about our health. We worry about the protection of our finances. And down, down deep, we know all these things are temporary. They can be taken from us in a millisecond. And we're troubled. Jim Murphy in his book, Inner Excellence, says, A heart built on temporary things will have insecurity as a constant companion. And if all you do is focus on this world, you're going to be anxious and troubled all your life. You'll never be at peace. That's why Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. I don't think we do that very much. Because we've got it so good here. Our minds, our hopes are on this world. And God's saying, don't do that. Lift up your affections to the things that are above. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 17, the Bible says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our, our troubles are just nothing compared to eternity. I like the way it's paraphrased in the message. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. This world, small potatoes in comparison with eternity. And we need to spend more time as Christian people thinking about what's going to be in the future, in heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many rooms. I've got a room in heaven. I like King James with many mansions. I've got a mansion in heaven reserved with my name on it. So do you. The Bible says we have a place in heaven that can never perish, spoiled or fade, kept in heaven for you. But he says there are going to be many rooms. You're not going to be there by yourself. Think about it. You're going to be united with loved ones and family members who know the Lord. Not everybody's going to go to heaven, but there are many rooms in heaven. I was once teaching a Saturday morning men's Bible study. And I was talking about death and dying. And I asked, how many of you guys in this room are over 70? A bunch of guys raised their hand. I said, do you fear death more or less as you grow older? All the old guys said, we fear death less. I said, why is that? Butch Dabney said, I'll tell you why. I got more friends in heaven right now than I got on earth. <laughs> Fisher Jones, Fisher Jones, 92, he said, you know what, Bob? I actually hope I die pretty soon. My friends are going to think I didn't make it. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Revelation, the ninth, uh, seventh chapter, verse 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. No one could count. So many people in heaven. And you know what? Maybe your best friend for eternity, you're not going to meet till you get there. They're going to be fascinating people in heaven. Every once in a while, somebody will say to me about our church, say the same about you. I can never go to Compassion Church. There's just too many people. It's too big. I always give the same answer. Don't go to heaven then. <laughs> You'll be real miserable there. So many you can't count them all. In my father's house, there are many rooms. But not just personal rooms. I think there are other kinds of rooms. I think it would be a great worship room in heaven. Where you can go in, you can hear the most fantastic praise music. And you're going to hear Michael play the trumpet and David play the harp and hear a testimony from Noah and then Jesus will walk behind the podium open the Bible. He'll begin to teach us things in the Bible that were there all the time we missed and we're going to be like the two on the road to Emmaus saying man didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures like that? Worship room in my father's house. many rooms. I think there will be a, a recreation room in heaven where you can go in you can sign up for golf trips and fishing trips and sightseeing trips and exploration trips. 
You know, I, I don't think God has created this vast universe just so somebody, a rare person, can look through a telescope and see some star, some planet way off. I think there's going to be interplanetary travel in the future when we get to heaven, and there's going to be so much to do, so much, so many places to go. You'll take eternity to do them all. Somebody said, "Well, that's kind of, kind of, uh, just make believe." Well. The Bible says God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. I think there's going to be an instant replay room in heaven. <laughs> where you can go in and you can watch any event in history and see it happen exactly the way it happened. I'd like to replay my own life. I'd like to delete some places, but I, I'd like to... <laughs> To see how many times the hand of God was in the shadows uh, protecting me and I didn't even know it. I'd like to replay the whole ministry of Jesus and see if some of those events I've read about in Scripture happened like I imagined they happened. Instant replay room. In my father's house there are many rooms. I think there's going to be a classroom there where you can go and you can learn about things that have always puzzled you. Uh, I want to go in and say, now, Lord, the Grand Canyon... Was that the result of millions of years of evolution or was that the result of Noah's flood? When we fasted and prayed for Josh Norton, he's only seven years old and he still died of leukemia, why, what was your purpose in allowing that to happen? And Lord, in the Bible you talk about the difference between predestination and foreknowledge. And I, I taught about that for 50 years, but really I didn't know what I was talking about. Would you explain that to me? <laughs> Now some people think, some people when you get to heaven, you're going to immediately know everything. I don't think so. I, I think you'll have a, a greater capacity to learn. But heaven will be all eternity learning things. Ephesians 2.7 says, In the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. And this word for show means to reveal in an ongoing progressive way. So I think we'll spend eternity learning and meeting people, and growing. We're not going to spend eternity sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp, somewhere bored to tears. There is going to be, a, 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 it's going to be a fascinating place. Set your affection on the things above, not on earthly things. I'm going to take a little bit of time to tell you about something that happened to me three months ago. Uh, I was invited to go on one of these honor flights by Andy Potts, who is a friend of mine in the church in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, you might be familiar with the honor flights. They were originally designed in 2005 for uh, honoring World War II veterans, many of whom are dying rapidly. All these guys in their 90s went through all this horrible war to keep America free. And some people feel like we never really thank those guys like we should. So they have honor flights and they take these guys to Washington, D.C. and they spend a whole day looking at the memorials and being honored and then they fly back the same day. And everybody who goes has to have a guardian because most of them are in wheelchairs and need attention. They have since expanded the honor flight to include veterans of the Vietnam War and the Korean War. And I just think it is great. They treat these guys like royalty. 30 years ago, the military was despised in a way in this country, but now we're back to honoring uh, those who served in the military the way we should. But Andy Potts asked me to be his guardian. We get out to the airport in Louisville, 6 a.m. There must have been 50 volunteers from Louisville just thanking these guys in the airport for their service and helping them with their breakfast. There was one woman dressed up like Rosie the Riveter from uh, World War II era. And there was a girls trio dressed up like Wax, Women's Army Corps. And they, had a, they sang songs from that era, but they had the hats and the hairdos and the seams and the stocking. 
And uh, I was most impressed with Heather French Henry, former Miss Kentucky, former Miss America. She volunteered to be a guardian for anybody who didn't have a guardian. And she has such a heart for veterans, she's gone 10 different times. Imagine, she doesn't know somebody and she's wheeling them around in a wheelchair for 10 hours a whole day just as a volunteer. I said to Andy Poss, my friend, I said, could you imagine one of these guys coming out here, no guardian, and they're assigned Miss America as their guardian. <laughs> and Andy said to me, he said, if I'd known that, I'd never invited you. <laughs> We get on a plane, it's decorated with uh, American flags and they're playing patriotic music. We land in Washington, D.C. There's a, there's a barbershop chorus singing some uh, songs from that era. There's a guy in a yellow zoot suit running around like 1940s. They put them on these luxury buses and have a police escort with sirens through the city. And they're just treating these guys great. Get to the World War II memorial and they spend a lot of time there walking around. Then they rest and this girl's trio sings some 1940s songs. And an old guy sitting in a wheelchair raised his hand and said, do you know such and such a song? Obviously his departed wife's love song. And one of the girls said, I know that song. And she stood there and sang it to him. And I mean, tears were streaming down this guy's weathered face. It was really touching. We went to the Vietnam Memorial, Korean Memorial, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Finally, we get back on the plane we land in Louisville at 10 o'clock at night. These guys are exhausted, but they know that they're appreciated. But the best was yet to be. We did not know. When we came through the security gate, I'm telling you, there were 2,000 people from Louisville there to welcome these guys home. They formed like a chain that you had to walk, a channel that you had to walk through. And they're standing there applauding them, shouting out, thanks for your service. Little boys holding up signs, thank you, sir, for your service. And there were military men saluting, calling out names. And these guys walking through with a cane or being wheeled through, tears streaming down their face. And I thought about heaven. Some of you have been beat up. Some of you have been shot at. Some of you have been wounded. Some of you feel underappreciated. But the best is yet to be. Can you imagine that day when your body gives way and you depart this body and the first thing you see is Jesus Christ, nail-scarred hands reaching out to you and you get to bow at his feet and thank him for sacrificing his life so you could be forgiven of your sins and saved. And then you hear the Lord Jesus say to you, there are some people beyond this gate I think want to welcome you. And the gate swings open and there are thousands of people that you've known or influenced on earth welcoming you home. Max Lucado has a book about the applause of heaven. <clears throat> and maybe there'd, be, maybe there'd be people from grade school, from high school that you influenced and you never knew you did. And they're saying, thank you for your service. Thank you for the difference you made. Thank you for teaching me the Bible. Thank you for praying for me. What a day that will be. Get your focus off the temporary things of this world. On to eternity. Listen, when we've been there 10,000 years, who wins the election in 2020 is going to look like a flea bite. It's not going to matter. So you put your trust in Jesus and quit focusing so much on this world. And then the third part of this formula is be confident you're going to go there and don't doubt. Because I have peace in the present, you've got to have faith in the future. You've got to be confident of tomorrow or you're going to be restless. 
Jesus said, you know the way to the place I'm going. You know that. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one's going to come to the Father except through me. Now, many people are not confident they're going to go to heaven because they're trusting themselves instead of trusting Jesus. They hope they'll be saved because they've lived a pretty good life, they think. And they go through life uncertain because they're never sure it's good enough. And the truth is, it's not good enough. Jesus makes it clear. You're not saved by trusting yourself. You're saved by putting your trust in me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Follow me. And then Jesus led them to a cross and a tomb. And then he came back from the grave. Nobody else did that. Moses didn't do that. Muhammad didn't do that. Confucius didn't do that. Only Jesus came out of the grave. Only Jesus can say, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And the way to be confident you're going to heaven is not to trust in your good works, but to say, I'm not good. I'm going to trust Jesus Christ. I believe what he says is true. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it is by grace that you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Evangelist Paul Little puts it like this. He said, let's say you line everybody up along the shore of the Pacific Ocean and you tell everybody, swim to Hawaii. How many would make it? Nobody. The doggy paddler might go 20 yards and the Olympic swimmer might go 20 miles. Everybody's doomed. But if a cruise ship comes along and a benevolent captain throws out a life ring and says, I'll give a free trip to Hawaii to anybody who would get on board. Who would make it to Hawaii? The person who's humble enough to say, I can't swim on my own. I'm going to trust the captain. What a picture of Christianity. That we're saying, I need forgiveness. I can't get there on my own. I trust in Jesus Christ. Now how do you follow Jesus? How can you be sure that you did that? It's as easy as A, B, C, and D. A, Admit that you're a sinner and in need of forgiveness. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You be humble enough to say, I need a Savior. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You fill in the blank. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now belief is not just mental assent. It is putting my trust in God is pleased most of all with faith when we believe His Word is true. The book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You believe God's promises are true. C, you confess Christ publicly. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. When you got married, you stood in front of people and you confessed your allegiance to this person beside you till death do you part. When you become a Christian, you publicly confess a new allegiance to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. And D is, you demonstrate your allegiance to Christ by repenting of your sin and being baptized into Christ. When Peter preached the first gospel sermon, the people realized they were sinners and they said, what should we do? We've crucified the Son of God. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Repentance is changing your mind, changing your direction. I've lived for self, I'll now live for Christ. I've lived a life of self-indulgence, I now live a life of service to Jesus Christ. Repentance doesn't mean that you never make a mistake, you, but when you stumble and fall, you get back up and you go in the same direction. And then baptism becomes your mark of, of uh, renewal, your benchmark, the dividing line between the old life and the new life. Romans 6 says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we'll certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. But you know what? I meet a lot of people who gave their life to Christ, trusted Christ years ago, they were baptized, but they're still not confident they're going to heaven. And the reason is that they've lived such an imperfect Christian life. And they think, will God still forgive me even though knowing better I still committed so many sins. Uh, I grew up in a great Christian home, so I went forward and got baptized when I was eight years old. And I remember feeling so good. I knew all my sins were forgiven. I knew I was going to heaven. But that was like 20 years ago or so. And, and <laughs> 68 years ago. And I have to be truthful. I've committed a whole lot more sin since I was eight and a lot worse sin since I was eight. If I'm not careful, I'll hear the adversary whisper, are you sure God's going to forgive you when you've been such an imperfect Christian and you've committed the same sin so many times over? And you know, I'm 76 years old now. I've preached for over 50 years and I'm still imperfect. I still sin. Cam, just two weeks ago, I went to a University of Louisville Michigan basketball game. It was sold out. Traffic before the game was so unbelievable heavy. I made a wrong turn to get my parking place. And then I had my grandson with me. And I was afraid we were going to miss a tip off because the line I was in was going so slow. And it, we were just creeping along and it, almost at a standstill. And all of a sudden, this sports car came zooming up beside me and put his nose right in front of my car. Now, I know Jesus said to turn the other cheek <laughs> and be slow to anger, but that ticked me off. <laughs> if the guy had stopped beside me and asked me, I, I, I might have let him go in. So I, I put my car right beside his and I rolled my window down. He rolled his window down and I said, you want to ask me to come in there? He said, oh, Pastor Bob, yes, you've been my preacher for 20 years. I, I, I want to come in. Oh, yeah, come on in, come on in. Come in. <laughs> you understand? If my salvation is dependent upon my perfection, I'm in deep trouble. Because I can still lose my temper. I can still be a hypocrite. But I'm confident when I die I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm a good swimmer. But I'm on the right cruise ship. Not because I'm perfect. But because Jesus Christ is still my Savior. It is so important to, for our confidence that we understand what happened to us when we gave our life to Christ and we're baptized. 
you, you didn't just have your sins forgiven. You were adopted into God's family. First, first John 3, 1 says, Behold what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are, children of God. Let me ask you parents and grandparents, how many times will your kids stumble and fall, betray you, and, dis, and they're still your kids? I've got two sons, they're not perfect. Do you have any idea how many times I've almost disinherited my kids? <laughs> I'll tell you how many times, zero. They're my kids. Now I guess they could get so wayward, so rebellious, if I left them their inheritance, they'd just waste it in drugs or something, and then with a broken heart, I'd disinherit. But that's, that's rare. You're adopted in the family of God. You can look into the future with confidence, knowing you know the way to the place I'm going. I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. So don't let your hearts be troubled. You put your trust completely in Jesus Christ. Nothing's going to happen in the future that you and he can't handle together. Get your focus off this world. Just small potatoes compared to what's going to happen in the future when you're welcomed home. And you be confident you're going there. Not because you're so good, but because you serve a perfect Savior who is known as the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus conquered the grave to prove that through his power we can do it too. Thank you so much for the hope that never perishes, spoil, or fades kept in heaven for us. And as we go to this new year, help us to enter it with the peace of God that passes all understanding ruling in our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Prince of Peace. Amen.